Welcome to this Center for Sport and Human Rights podcast series focusing on the sport-related impacts of COVID-19 on children. I'm Mary Harvey, CEO of the Center for Sport and Human Rights. In today's episode, we will look at how the absence of sport is impacting both the physical and mental well-being of children all around the world. From feelings of isolation, loss of team dynamic, or just the lack of physical activity, children are grappling to figure out this new normal. Thank you for joining us today, and here's your host, Kirsty Burroughs. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the first episode of the Center for Sport and Human Rights podcast series. The discussions throughout this six-part series will be based on the June 2020 report entitled An Overview of the Sport-Related Impacts of the COVID-19 Pandemic on Children. This report was the result of a collective effort initiated by the Centre for Sport and Human Rights, where 37 experts were brought together to explore the current and possible future impacts that the pandemic may have on the millions of children who participate and engage in organised sport worldwide. Today's episode focuses on how the absence of sport may be impacting children's mental and physical health. Joining the conversation are Dr. David McDuff, Clinical Professor at the University of Maryland, Dr. Annie Sparrow, Special Advisor to the Director General of the World Health Organization, and Dr. Yetza Tuakli Wosonu, Assistant Clinical Professor at the Yale School of Public Health. Yes, thanks. Thank you for having us. Pleasure. So I'm really excited to speak to you all today because, as you know, we are seeing measures being implemented all around the world to restrict the spread of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, And some of those measures are having huge impacts on the participation and spectatorship of organized sports. And this can have a manifold effect on child welfare, with sports participation being so important to the lives of so many children. So I'd like to discuss with you today what some of your key concerns are about the restriction in access to sport at the moment, particularly from the physical and mental health perspective. Perhaps I could start off by coming to you, David. I mean, the main things I've seen have been that uh, younger athletes tend to start staying up later, not just from the loss of sport, but also from the typical structure of school. And as they stay up later, they begin to lose their typical sleep-awake cycles, which are critical to producing energy for the day. And so waking up with low energy then affects motivation you know, for learning and you know, just socializing you know, with others. And the default seems to be screen time with you know, more gaming, uh, more you know, movie watching, and doing that in isolation. And with older uh, athletes, adolescent and young adults, then the worry becomes, does a default shift over to increased use of alcohol, tobacco, cannabis, or even other substances? Thank you, David. This is certainly a concern, as as well as you say, the the loss of structure. Um, And I'd like to come over to you, Annie, as well, to ask some of the key trends that you're seeing related to the reduction of sport and physical activity and the public health impact this might have for young people. Yeah, there are two things, aren't there? There are the organised sport that takes place at school, and then there's just the physical activity that's just part and parcel of, of what we can consider everyday life and routine school activity. And yet, even though we know it's like, routine at school 
we forget how essential it is to have that learning. I mean, boys in particular are a bit like dogs. You know, you have to run them, don't you, before you can, you know, before they'll learn anything. But it's 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 all of us. And I mean, and my husband is still like that. You know, he runs Human Rights Watch, but he still has to run every day, or else he's impossible. And we forget that in our efforts to like concentrate on literacy with maths and, and science and reading that you know sport and gym has just been pushed to the side as if it's not important and yet it's just so critical you know for the fundamental ability to learn um quite apart from where we you know you know that, that's like the the first piece and then there's the socialization piece the way that we just you know, it just helps us to interact with each other before we even go into that the mental health sort of issues, which um, we're seeing, particularly in the teenage years. Um, but it's, it, you know, we 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 have done this with very little foresight and uh, created an enormous amount of harm across the spectrum by shutting down schools so carelessly. Thank you, Annie. Do you share the same concerns yet, sir? Oh my goodness, completely. And I, you know, as Annie was talking, I just thought so, so much about school. So, so I study, as you know, Kirsty, unethical behavior. But the trends I've been paying attention to have to do with child abuse and neglect, actually. Um, so in America, 20% of reports mailed, made to child protective services come from educational personnel. So that's your teachers, your coaches, your school nurses, etc. So educators are actually our country's primary reporters. Uh, Shelter-in-place orders are keeping kids away from school, as Annie said, and for some kids that also means being kept in abusive home environments. So that's what I've been paying attention to very closely. Um, In some parts of the U.S. and India, there are some data, really very scant data, that neglect uh, and abuse actually is increased during the COVID period. But paradoxically, uh, at least during the early parts of the pandemic, in our country, the number of reports made to child maltreatment hotlines actually decreased. So I'm not sure if you guys saw any of those um, those reports. They were um, came out in the New York Times and other outlets, but the number of reports decreased. So that's a very paradoxical trend that I've been paying really close attention to, where for you know once um, a decreased percentage actually means increased risk. So I've, um, that concerns me tremendously because so many kids, I know I, I was one of those kids, um, Annie, it's not just boys and, and men that need to be run around. I needed to be run around too <laughs> when I was a kid. Um, I was one of those kids who loved going to school because of sports. Um, and so a lot of kids really, they, they find school itself a space where, um, where they can in, in, engage in sport and, and the shelter in place orders are keeping them out of sport, but also out of school. And for some kids, that's the safe haven. That's the safe place. If you're from an abusive home environment, sheltering in place means sheltering in abuse. No, I think it's a really important point. And, and um, you know, at one point we saw over 80 percent of the world's enrolled learners impacted. That's over 1.5 billion children uh, around the world. And, and still we have a, a high percentage in November. It was still over 30 percent of the world's enrolled learners impacted. And as you say, these school and um, sport provides a real network which can be really fundamentally important to children not just for their physical health and their mental health and their well-being but also for their safety and security sometimes as you're saying Yetza and um, I think that's a really really important point to highlight we're seeing different manifestations many different ways in which the effects of the pandemic are really impacting children David, you mentioned increased screen time. This must be a concern that effectively children may become more and more isolated, relying on online systems to interact with people. 
Do you have any concerns and are there ways that we can look to try and counteract this trend? Yeah, the, the, the screen activity itself is so uh, captivating to young people that they tend to hyper-focus and not pay attention to ordinary things. And I worry that the more time they spend you know, on screen watching animated cartoons or videos or you know, socially interacting with their peers, you know, the less likely they are to engage in normal social conversation. Yeah, I worry that it erodes self-esteem as well. I think sport involvement and being physically active are a major source of someone's self-esteem that has great carryover into social situations as well as into academic ventures. As Yetza said, she, her motivation to go to school in part was related to sport, but then she was there and energized by her sport and you know, likely much more available, engaged in, in academics. And I guess one thing that we're seeing is, as increased screen time effectively becomes a necessity um, is that with increased screen time comes decreased movement and less play. And I think this must be one of the other key challenges, as you're saying, David, with children being unable to go to school or participate in sport, we're seeing a real increase in sedentary behaviour. Um, and we know that if this becomes permanently entrenched, it can lead to things of increased risk of diabetes and cardiovascular disease in children. Do you would you have any yet, sir, and, and, and or Annie? Would you have any um, any ideas or policy strategies that we could try and look to implement to try and counteract this? You know, how do we try and ensure that these sedentary behaviours over COVID nineteen don't become entrenched? Uh, okay, I can go first. Happy to. Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean the the. The one thing that has to be done is to get kids back to school. This is one of the things which, where we we shut down everything in this, you know, this very blunt you know reaction to COVID, in which was more you know which is basically just playing by the pandemic influenza playbook and has nothing to do with COVID. Where, you know, when we when we talk about as a physician when we talk about do no harm and where that comes from. It doesn't come from our Hippocratic oath. Hippocrates did say it, but he said it very specifically in relationship to diseases and epidemics. And I think now we can see very clearly why he said that and why it relates specifically to diseases and epidemics, because we have done so much harm through not thinking this through. And we, we know how much school matters. And it's not education per se, it's been at school. It's schools are the place which provide the safety, the common ground, the connections. We, all I talk about digital connectivity is the human connections that matter. And there's no substitute for in-class teaching that, you know, of course, you know, we already exclude half a billion children who don't have internet connectivity if we're going to go onto online and put out all our efforts into saying that. But that is no substitute for the connection, for the learning, for the, for the, you know the one the, the teacher pupil interaction and the and the pupil pupil i mean we just we 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 forgot all the importance of bricks and mortars and of that common space so i think you know we 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 did this in very carelessly to shut things down and have done enormous harm so i mean when we're talking about policy policy begins with actually having a policy which concretely says the importance of schools and education and kids being at school and getting them there because we know that it's not just their education but it's a great protector it's a great socializer it's important for their physical mental emotional and intellectual development in every single way 
Um, and then more broadly, of course, you have to, you know, insert that into the curriculum. I mean, we know how important sport is, so let's make it a, as as important as as maths and and as as reading. Because frankly, if you don't have that physical literacy, which also gives you that social and you know emotional sort of uh, and confidence and development, well, it's not much good, is it? You know, being a genius if you don't have any friends and you can't get on in the world and the the sport is that kind of um it's both an element of learning and it's an outcome and the healthier you are in your in you know your earlier years that 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 has this long-term trajectory and we know that for every like year for example of added education in even after you've finished your you know your primary school and your secondary school then there's an extra you know seven years of life expectancy which sounds extraordinary but it's you know these are the these are the things that we know actually work, and we should pay attention to the fundamentals and not get seduced by the high tech solutionism. Thank you so much, Annie. You've really touched upon so much there, especially the value and importance of in person interactions. Yeah. So, did you have any comments you might like to add to that? I absolutely do. So, here, here is the first comment I'll make. I completely agree with Annie that there is no substitute for face-to-face interaction and that sport really does have an impact on short, medium, and long-term health outcomes that she alluded to. But I guess I would just offer two policy recommendations since that was the specific question. Um, If we are to be driven to the virtual spaces until schools open again, we can, I think, make the best out of the situation. And so there's two things I would recommend. The first is to meet kids exactly where they are. David said it right. They're on their screens. Okay, so I would say at the level of the State Departments of Education, I'd really advocate for the expansion of physical education learning environments to include virtual spaces. Uh, I'll give you an example from my state. I'm in Connecticut here at Yale University, and we mandate physical education and daily recess to kids that are age, grades K through six, and then high schools have to provide physical education courses. Um, not, not every state is the same, but that's the case in Connecticut. Um, currently, We do not allow physical education credits to be earned through virtual spaces. So you can't earn them in online physical education classes. So I change that. And while that we ensure, you know, most kids, even kids that are in remote areas have internet uh, connectivity, which I'll get to in just a moment. I think if we can provide virtual physical activity sessions and classes, but allow kids to earn credit for them. So actually giving them gold stars at the level of the State Departments of Education, that could help. So if, you, if you're asking for a policy recommendation in this COVID period before schools reopen, agree, there's no substitute for that, but we are where we are. So let's meet kids where they are and try to make the best out of this bad situation. That's what I would recommend. So that's policy recommendation number one. Number two, I think in 2020, and, and uh, Annie touched on it really beautifully, the concept of accessibility and equity as well as social inclusion is much more than just ramps and curb cutouts and closed captioning. Reduced school price lunches, all great, but it also includes internet connectivity, right? That's a critical part of equity nowadays. So it should be afforded to all children. So I just want to highlight um, a program that I'm really enamored by at the international level that's going on. Um, I'd advocate for policies like this at national and international levels. So UNICEF is starting a program. You've probably heard of it, guys. It's called GIGA, G-I-G-A. Um, They've got this amazing, bold mission, essentially, of uh, allowing for internet connectivity to all schools in remote areas and not remote areas. It's it's, it's pretty incredible. 
Um, and so I think that if you can create electronic learning platforms through programs like GIGA that include physical education programs, I think that would be a huge win at national and international levels. So UNICEF did that because they recognized early on during the pandemic that COVID-19 itself underlined the importance of universal connectivity, especially for kids who are affected by poverty, disability, or social exclusion. Once that's done, then let's start giving kids gold stars and actual credits, curricular credits for physical education programs that are offered in the virtual space until such a time as schools are reopened again, which I agree nothing can substitute for. So those would be my two policy recommendations, Kirsty. Thank you so much. And please go ahead, David. Yeah, just to follow up on Yetz's policy recommendations, I completely agree with them. I think schools should be the the leaders in promoting physical activity. Sedentary behavior typically can lead to weight gain, very quickly to deconditioning, but also to loss of flexibility, you know, where your kinetic chain of muscles gets way too tight. So I'd like to see something in the morning for every school where the day starts with getting your heart rate up, and stretching, teaching children how to stretch properly and using breath as a way to improve the quality of the stretch, you know, raises energy you know, at a time when cortisol levels are highest. And once that energy level is up, then motivation can send itself into all important areas of life. Thank you, David. And then I think also, I mean, it would be great to talk to you some more about then how we can see, because obviously one of the other things that is so important about physical activity is the is the link between physical activity and uh, mental health benefits as well, decreases in depression and anxiety. And so um, are these some of the things that, you know, are trying to advocate for, for still trying to keep children as active as possible in this time? Is this one of the key things you would advocate for from a mental health perspective as well? Uh, absolutely, because uh, the only well-done survey I've seen so far has been of collegiate athletes in April and May done by the NCAA, and they reported rates of uh, anxiety, depression, irritability, anger, sleep difficulties, uh, one and a half to two and a half times the normal rates that you see in athletes. And so the removal of physical activity and sport training and competition, you know, to me clearly has an anti-anxiety, anti-depressant effect. It's one of the major stress control strategies, you know, in most cultures, uh, and then provides a way for people to, you know, instantly socialize and form a connection through physical activity. You know, just being present with another person, you know, yeah, next to them in movement, I think, is just has effects that we don't even understand how important they are. I think this is a hugely interesting point. And Annie, I'd love to come to you on this point as well, because you mentioned how there's no substitute for brick and mortar schools. And David and Yetzi, you've also spoken about how important it is to actually be able to physically participate and the social aspect of these interactions being so important. Do you have any concerns about children being pushed to focus on other subjects um, away from physical activity um, or about policies which may limit the way in which children are able to play or physically interact in school in order to curb the spread of the virus? Um, well, I have a 12-year-old, so I think I'm pretty ideally situated to answer this right now in that um, I'm glad that he's gone back to school. I mean, this is where um, 
uh, it's, you know, being at school is a great thing, but what is incredibly frustrating at this point that, you know, we're always, we're in such lag behind the evidence, even though we can sort of watch how the virus is sort of behaving and we can see that and that's where you sort of, you know, we can take a cue from the virus and, and, and see this is not spreading where the influenza spreads, for example, where you do shut down schools and kids are super spreaders and, uh, you know, but, but it's like, my son, and he comes from, we, he was born in Kenya, so his nickname is Toto. And he comes home from school and he says, Mom, you know, well, actually, it's like being in a prison yard. And I said, why? What do you mean? He said, because all we're allowed to do is walk around and the men in orange vests watch us. I was like, wow, that is exactly like being in a prison yard. And he's disgusted because he tells me, Mom, you know, quite clearly, COVID isn't spread by feet. You know, we should be able to play football. You know, we can't even play tennis where we're 500 mil, you know, meters apart and we play it with rackets. And he's quite clear about, you know, how COVID is spread and how, you know, they should be able to figure out their own solutions around this. And I think, you know, kids are very good at actually figuring this out. And it is fairly devastating because having recognized how important, you know, physical activity is to be reduced to walking around a playground when you're 12 years old, boys and girls, yeah, and you can't do anything else, then you, you feel, you know, both, you know, you know, almost cheated and frustrated because actually we know that this is not how the virus is spread. And for me, I say that I swim in Lake Geneva. You know, throughout winter, it's pretty damn cold in there at the moment. But you know, we do it with a group of people and, and I'm conscious of that, of those weak ties being almost as important as the stronger ties in helping us stay healthy and social and keep our heads above this, you know, this very difficult time where we are all, you know, threatening, you know, being threatened by COVID's and as COVID sort of surges, then we're almost being submerged with this tidal wave of anxiety and fear and living in the uncertainty of when it's going to be over and the reality is it's never going to be over we're going to be living with this for a long time we're going to get better at living with it and vaccines are going to help us manage it but they are not going to be the cure they're not going to be any guarantee that they're going to stop transmission so we have to put in place measures and policies that will not only you know protect us but help us moving forward and guide us towards the through the next pandemic too. Thank you so much, Annie. I think it's, I think it's, you know, what you were saying also about um, about your son is really fascinating as as well. And obviously, the idea that as sport recommences, it's you know we're seeing we know how important sport can be for children's physical and mental health, and we know how disrupt the disruption in sport. You know, we're seeing we're starting to see how how that can impact in a multitude of ways. Um, but the idea of then when sport recommences that the policies are in place, which actually then still very, very much limits children's usual interaction through sports. And um, that can also be quite damaging, as, you, as, as you're saying. I mean, would you have any key recommendations yet? So I might come to you to see or any key recommendations that you would say to promote safe physical activity or the importance that this has on children's physical um, well-being? Uh, yeah, I would. So just to... Um to follow on on what, what's been said, I think some of the recommendations just in terms of a, from the health side um, would 
probably start with the idea of starting low and going slow. I mean, um, the idea of deconditioning is very important. So I was talking to one of my um, one of my students the other day. He's an elite uh, rugby player for the U.S. Actually, he's gotten himself into a, a real pickle um, as he's gone back to sport in various ways. He trains at a very elite level, um, and what he realizes that even though he's in his twenties now, this is the first time since he was eight years old that he's not trained about five to six days per week in some way, whether it was what David mentioned, elasticity training or aerobic or anaerobic, just strength and conditioning, mental skills even. He's at the elite level, so he's got sort of all four of those components in his training program. And because since eight years old, he's been doing that until he's 20, this period where he's had to essentially sit out or just sort of have a convalescence training program that's essentially like somebody going to the gym and quote, staying fit, he's actually become really deconditioned. So he came back with you know, every single gun he has blazing and got himself into a pretty bad uh, injury as a result. So, so that idea of quickly transitioning back to sport um, as, as it was before obviously needs to be considered. Um, and so idea of starting low and going slow is always good when you're coming back from an, a, a change in your physical activity um, program. That's always very important, particularly for us musculoskeletal physicians out there um, where we just don't want to see kids getting injured and then being even more frustrated because then you have to sit out again as you're nursing the injury. So that's the first thing I would say. But then second, I really love this idea of interconnectedness. I mean, you know, th there's a writer, Monica Menjul, who says something I, I love. Um, it's like the interconnectedness of everything and everyone is a powerful launch vehicle. And we know that literally that interconnectedness of us humans, uh, spending time together, socializing, it boosts immunity, it boosts joy, and it boosts performance, cognitive and physical. We know that. So those early morning swims that you're talking about in Lake Geneva, Annie, that's, you know, for us athletes, that's the equivalent of our early morning lifts in the gym with our teammates. Uh, sure, we grumble on the way down there and we, wine you know the entire way through but we really secretly love it because we're bonding with our teammates and 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 connecting with other people you know and we're it, this idea of shared having that shared experience it's nothing it's nothing more beautiful it, it genuinely as david said boosts your entire day and sets you up for an opportunity to sort of infuse that enthusiasm into every other task for the day so i just love what david said about having that structure first thing in the morning work on your elasticity, work on your anaerobic, work on your aerobic conditioning. I, I think that's great. So I think the second thing I would say, in addition to starting low and going slow so you don't get injured, is to probably try and infuse some sort of structure and camaraderie into whatever it is that we're doing. So you're not walking around um, the equivalent of a elementary prison yard, um, but rather there's, this, there's, there's some sort of built-in interconnectedness um, some sort of built-in structure, right? So you have to be there at a certain time, maybe first thing in the morning. I love that idea. Um, and uh, some sort of camaraderie that's fostered in whatever the physical activity uh, program is. So two sides of the coin, one to prevent injury, the other to really boost interconnectedness because uh, it matters so much. Fantastic point, Yetza. This actually makes me think of a survey recently done by the International Olympic Committee in, in May of 2020, which revealed that managing mental health was one of the biggest challenges faced by elite athletes during the pandemic, in addition to the lack of access to sports facilities and the loss of their normal training schedules. 
David, would you have any advice or recommendations related to how we can help to maintain the support and motivation of young athletes for whom their daily routines, such as school, training, the team dynamic, competition, etc., provide so much structure to their everyday lives? Yeah, in team sport, I think the coaches have a responsibility to keep the teammates connected. And I think doing that in small groups online, maybe with a topic type agenda. Yeah. I often think of injury as a time when you can learn something new. And one of the things that you know, typically is not addressed as much as physical and technical or tactical training is mental skills training. And so it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to begin to introduce that in. With several of the teams that I work with, we introduced a series of teaching a mental skill each week and how to connect that with your physical training and your technical training. So once you get a child excited about new learning, then their motivation can soar. And especially if you do it in the you know, connection with several of their other teammates. So it keeps them informed, it keeps them engaged. Uh, and I think it gives them a break from just you know, the routines of school where at least in the US, the core subjects are the ones that have been emphasized, math, science, and English. And what's been displaced have been the arts and physical activity which to me are the engines for creativity and for social connection. David, thank you. I think we completely uh, agree with you there. Yet, yeah, sir, do you have anything you'd like to add there? <laughs> Always. You see me nodding away. So I just, you know, as David was saying, I love that idea because I think especially at the elite level, I know for sure for me, uh, the difference between being great, you know, national level athlete and then being an international level athlete was exactly that, the mental skills. That's literally just as important and essential as the physical skills. So I think for team sports, like David was saying, it's 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 a little bit of redundant, um, but I would say um, try to create mental skills training programs that kids can get excited about, but also if you can teach it to them in a way that is directly connected to their performance and really demonstrate how it will help them with their, with their um, physical performance, their athletic um, achievements that can help. Once 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 you learn that, you realize that it's a, it's a very important uh, part of your training. The other thing I would say is just to normalize the issue of mental health. Normalize the issue of mental skills. If you have to use the word skills before you use the word health, maybe do that. Just so there's a nice access point um, where kids don't necessarily and their parents don't necessarily feel like there's some sort of a stigma associated with what's being taught. So I think just by normalizing it, teaching it, talking about it, including it in your physical activity curricula, just like you include the elasticity and aerobic and anaerobic training, I think that in and of itself amplifies and elevates mental skills and mental health to a level that's on par with the other skills that we're teaching. Um, the final thing I just want to say is I know that for face-to-face -face engagement, but in times where our kids are tethered to their electronic devices, I really think if you think about really fun and creative challenges on Instagram or another social media platform where kids would really get excited about it, a dance challenge, a push-up challenge, an elasticity challenge, maybe it's who can who can do a split within the next six months, something, do something where you're actually creating some levity and some joy and some fun into it, including some element of competition electronically, sorry, any, <laughs> that could actually be of huge benefit um, to kids and keep them motivated um, and wanting to wanting to progress 
um, in whatever the physical activity challenge is. Thank you, Yetza. And Annie, this must really resonate with you looking at all of this from a public health perspective. As we know, physical activity is, is really crucial for general good health, both for physical and mental wellness. But during these times, staying physically active may be of even greater importance. Um, so from the public health perspective, even though there are COVID-19 restrictions and limitations in place around the world, um, I would imagine promoting a focus on maintaining physical activity for people of all ages uh, in recognition of the multitude of physical and mental um, benefits must be of prime importance. Yes, thank you. It is, it is so fundamental in ways where we rarely actually get the chance to even think about how fundamental it is. And this is not the, you know, the pandemic of the 21st century. It's the first pandemic of the 21st century. And it may well be the worst in terms of the fact that we're, we're not very well equipped to deal with it. But, you know, our ability to withstand COVID and other respiratory in particular threats, but other emerging threats, and I say respiratory because the worst of them are respiratory because of the ability to spread any airborne disease is, is, is a much greater threat, um, depends on our level of immunity. And that, you know, we are so used to thinking about health as the absence of disease. We have this disease control model, which actually subordinates people to the virus. So we're obsessed with the virus when we're obsessed with you know, treatments and discovering vaccines, and we're much less focused on actually making people stronger and healthier and more resilient and more resistant, which in the end, that's what we need and want because that's what's going to get us through. We can't ever have a vaccine for everything, but we can make ourselves a lot healthier. And that, that of course, you know, begins with our own health and even separating out our physical and our mental health is is difficult because we know that they're so interrelated but so what we're actually sort of doing right now is we are still however we're still in this interesting place where we're now vaccines are here it's like phew phew vaccines are here but they're not really here are they i mean it's going to take months to roll them out and as i said they're not going to actually stop spread they are going to be really 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 important though in, in helping us to actually start uh you know regenerating our physical uh activities and our connections where um you know, those, you know, whether we're simply actually you know, meeting people on the street, going for walks, you know, which is you know, what, you know, for, for so many people around the world, that's what we simply do. You meet, you go for walks, you actually walk into town, you actually to do your shopping, you're, you know, you're fundamentally on your feet in ways which, which um, we, we sort of have forgotten how much, how much we, we do that and how much it should be and is a part of our daily lives. Um, but so vaccines can help sort of create sort of safe spaces. And that's going to be also very important for stadiums, for example, where you're able to get back into stadiums. And that's super important for athletes, too, because athletes themselves have said, well, you know, that was OK. We got through that that season without spectators doing it all online via television. But it's miserable for them. And it's not the same as having spectators and as spectators ourselves, too. You know, we like to watch. It's like we like watching our teams and we are suddenly connected again in a way where you aren't we aren't as connected as when we're living this online experience and it's so seductive it's all the hype is there and it's so alluring we don't have the evidence that it works we know what works we do know that there's nothing like you know actually getting out there and pounding the pavement and getting throwing yourself in the lake and throwing yourself into team sports and actually doing it and connecting and the 2d involvement that we have is we can take it a long a long way but it's just not the same as then that, that physical connection that we know matters so much you know, 
sport itself is one is a universal language and i feel that athletes themselves with their mental health like olympic athletes stand up too but the kids and the rest of the world because it we have you know we have so few things that we speak universally but sport is one of them you know arts is another but sports is you know in football and the olympics are the great connectors and you think about the olympic spirit in and of itself it's like that's what we need right now to help carry us forward and you know can athletes you know everywhere you know stand up to help kids back get in get back into school everywhere and i think that actually young athletes themselves are the, are the most crucial sort of advocates to help us hear the kids voices that we can't hear the kids voices we don't hear them and we need to thank you so much annie and and yes i think hearing the child's voice is absolutely crucial and during this series we'll actually have an episode focusing on the importance of the voice of the child and the special attention that we must pay uh, especially as we look to build back and create new strategies um, moving forward I do have one more question that I'd like to ask you, David, before we come to the, the final question. Um, building on what Annie said regarding role models, we know that physical activity has a myriad of benefits to mental health, and we don't know the data yet, but we can surmise that the lockdown restrictions are having a negative impact on children and young people's me mental health, and there is certainly um, some, some initial evidence of this. And we also see a lot of barriers that still exist when it comes to help-seeking or reporting um, when it comes to this area. So I'd like to ask if there's any recommendations that you might have for athletes or for athlete role models to try and help them pass this message on about normalizing conversations around mental health and the importance of mental health, especially as we consider that there may be a lot of children who are really struggling during this time. I mean, I think the testimonials that you've seen by many elite level athletes over the last five years have been the wedge that has broken open this discussion about mental health and the importance of, you know, seeking assistance when you're in distress. You know, I've worked for teams, you know, in their training areas for, for 25 years now. And in the first few years of working with the team, they would say, who are you? Why do we need a psychiatrist? And then as they came to appreciate the diversity of experiences that you have as a mental health profession and that you can teach someone about the spirit, the mind, the body, and those connections. And yeah, I just think normalizing these discussions can take place over time. But yeah, short testimonials by athletes are now you know rolling out on the internet and they're they're beautifully crafted. You know, this is what happened to me and I struggled and was in despair until I finally reached out. And when I reached out, I saw that there was this glorious world of support out there for me and that I wasn't alone and that I knew I could get better. And that installation of hope is a critical aspect of what any mental health professional does. You know, even our fitness community who really is connected to vitality as a way of life, I'd like to see some, you know, connection between schools and fitness instructors, you know, who have ways of engaging and motivating people that are novel. And if we could get, you know, those two to cross connect, I think we could think outside the box and begin to introduce, you know, resilience training through physical training. 
Yeah, I, I'm just nodding because I'm just, as David is speaking, it's like he's speaking directly to my heart. <laughs> it's just a perfect way of really foregrounding the importance of mental well-being. Um, you know, we are human beings, whole, mind, body, and soul. And so many times we, in athletics, we sort of compartmentalize um, our bodies and sort of disassociate ourselves from our either mental experiences, emotional experiences, physical experiences, and act like they're somehow disconnected, whereas we are in integrated, we're integrated beings. And so I just, I'm just excited, I'm nodding so vigorously because I'm really excited about, uh, about what he's saying and how, 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 the, how the field's evolved and changed. Um, it's true. Uh, 20, 20 years ago or so, um, yeah, we did. There was no uh, mental skills coach or psychiatrist or psychologist in sight for a lot of our national and international teams, even even school based. Yeah, so I agree that 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 recognition and slow sort of evolution of people realizing, ah, we're actually integrated mind, body, spirit beings, um, you know, and we can we can optimize performance, but also as Annie was saying, optimize just well being before we get to uh, a question about performance. No, thank you so much, Yetzer. And Annie, Yetzer and David, I'd like to thank you all and give a huge thank you to you for sharing your expertise and, and taking part in this really important conversation. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd like to just ask one final question. And if that's if you could share a key message with young athletes or with those who are caring for young athletes that might help them to better navigate through this difficult time, especially from the from the perspective of the mental and physical well-being of young athletes or, or young people during this time um perhaps i can come should, who should i come to first perhaps i can come to you to you first david uh, i would say you know pay attention to the importance of schedule and routine and create a schedule for yourself that starts with a focus on your awakening routine where you drink something hot or cold, turn on the music, dance, make breakfast, get outside, get exposed to the natural light and breathe. You know, start your day in a certain way and the rest of the day will likely flow. Then of course, nutrition, hydration, you know, even taking mini breaks, just take a break from what you're doing, even if it's stretching in place and breathing with that stretch. And then it just refreshes you to come back. And then we all can learn more about the importance of unwinding so that we get restorative sleep at night. Sleep is really the key to well-being. You know, and our energy and immune systems reset every night. You know, our learning gets consolidated. And so keeping that in a normal, you know, time frame of probably... 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., something like that. Fantastic. And I'm so glad you mentioned sleep there, David. Such a hugely crucial point. Thank you so much. Annie, could I come to you for one key recommendation or message? Just the one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard, I know, to consolidate everything, but uh, yeah. Well, one thing we haven't discussed at all, I would say, just remember this time the importance of human rights. Now that I think we can feel it or see it very viscerally the connections between health and human rights and for women and girls in particular uh, we see rights being eroded uh, we see you know for children also and that's where I think athletes too have a sort of really incredible ability both to feel that to to understand how that plays out at school on those sporting play, playgrounds you know in the international arena with the you know, with the predominance being given to men's sports as opposed to women and girls, disabled, Paralympics, 
And I would say, um, you know, at this time too, maybe the, we know that schools are the best way to achieve gender equity and having girls back in school. And I don't really know what the key message is there, except that at this crucial time, you know, let's let's try and find a way to get behind, you know, what really matters and get kids back in school and get girls back in school in particular. And that not not ever to forget that incredibly vital role that sport plays and has played and how we've seen that in the US with Title IX about what happens when you bring school and human rights and and sports together. And that goes all the way to the Olympics and to the, you know, to the Women's World Cup. And that's a powerful message of, of both hope and possibility and realization of rights at this time. Thank you, Annie. Yetza, I'll come to you. Absolutely. I've got two messages. Um, first, I'm just talking specifically to the vulnerable kids, kids who may unfortunately be at risk of abusive uh, situations at home during this time, just to say, as David said, you're not alone. Um, a safe adult is just an electronic message away. So if you can consider using social media to your advantage to reach out to your teachers and coaches and school nurses and all the other safe adults that usually could help you. So that's just to the kids that are vulnerable during this time, during shelter in place orders and other things. But then second, and this is channeling Annie's mom a little bit, it sounds like, for student athletes who are looking to stay fit, bond with teammates, but also make the world a better place and help others, I would say look for opportunities for you and your team to give back to your community, especially during the holiday season. Come up with some safe social media challenges that can help you do that. Maybe turn it into a fundraiser and give back to a charity in your community or your city. That might be one way to achieve that interconnectedness, the fitness, um, but also to just give back um, and, to, and to make your movement meaningful. So thanks for the question, Kirsty. Thank you again to Dr. David McDuff, Dr. Annie Sparrow, and Dr. Yetza Tuakli Wasonu for joining us on our very first episode of the Center for Sport and Human Rights podcast series focused on the sport-related impacts that COVID-19 is having on young people around the world. We hope that you'll join us next week for the next episode where we will discuss how the pandemic has impacted children's safety in, through and around sport, the effect COVID-19 is having on sport for development projects and the effect this is having on children in humanitarian situations. For more information on this series, please visit the Centre for Sport and Human Rights website at sporthumanrights.org and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Sport and Rights. Thank you very much.